With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
What a song, what a song. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. I'm Rory Sauter. Great to be with all of you. I have missed you all since yesterday. We had a fantastic show yesterday. Uh, amazing topics, uh, great uh, guests, everything you could want established and addressed with, in, in terms of topics. Perfect flow, perfect rhythm, just right on par like it always is. I mean, it's such, such a, you know, fantastic flow. I mean, it's, you know, we all resonate with one another. We never run out of things to talk about. And, you know, I say it all the time, but I will say it again. Every episode just keeps getting better and better and uh, just keeps getting more and more exciting. That's for damn sure. Uh, I want to, like every episode, um, first of all, I hope you all are having a great day. I hope it's going accordingly. I hope it's productive. I hope it's all it's meant to be. Um, I, I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, sponsors, and uh, audience. You are all incredible. Uh, the show is listened to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or any 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, thenextgenusa.com. Also remember, next month, and I'm sorry about the delay, we will be releasing the brand new 24-7 network. And like I've said many times, many notable names will be doing their own shows. Uh, We'll be having my good friend, America's toughest sheriff, Joe Arpaio, as well as my friend, director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer, as the main faces of the network. So that is, we're really excited about that. And, uh, guys, we have about 85% of the show slots filled up. So we're, uh, we've been doing conference calls with so many different, uh, you know, individuals these last, these last couple months. We've probably had, <laughs> I mean, it, at over 50, over 50 conference calls with different show hosts and different people that want to get involved with the network. And it's a, it's a fun road. We have a lot to look forward to. Um, a lot to get into tonight. Big, big show. And, you know, the media reports today were busy as usual, you know, like, like they always are. Um, I will have some announcements coming uh, probably Thursday, but uh, stay tuned for that. And, um, just thinking, thinking if there's anything else. No, I can't, I can't, I can't think of, I, I thought, thought I had something else to announce, but if I think of it, I'll come back to it. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show, a doctor, award-winning speaker, veteran, professor, technology expert, best-selling author, and currently the commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fantastic tonight, Rory. I look forward to your show. You, you I, I, I know that we're going to be talking about uh, our, our one of our favorite uh, our buddy Free, Fredo. That uh, our buddy Fredo. <laughs> what a meltdown, man! But I, I also want to talk about it when when we do. I hope that we get into the uh, red flag laws as well. You know, and what people are saying and stuff like that. But, you know, Como's meltdown was just priceless, I'll tell you. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. 
Uh, let's also welcome to the show founder of Republicans United, founder of College Republicans United, and currently currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Dukeyberg. I'm doing wonderfully, Rory. I'm really glad that we have so much to talk about, especially with this dog-eat-dog Democrat presidential primaries. I mean, it's, it's an absolute uh, feast to watch. And also all these great speakers and guests that we're having on this channel. I mean, our country is filled with so many amazing patriots. So I'm looking forward to uh, everything this show has to offer in, in the future. And uh, it's really great to uh, be a part of it. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thank you. We're glad to have you a part of it as well. Uh, I would like to welcome uh, conservative talk show host, 2024 presidential candidate, activist, and best-selling author, Daryl Kane. Daryl. Brother, it's good to be on the program. I'm actually just hopping off of a boat right now. It's good to hear the good doctor and Kevin's voices. And, yeah, dog-eat-dog, operative word there, dog. And I think we're going to have a great program tonight. And, Really looking to catching in with you guys, and Cuomo's one of those guys. He's one of those tough guy progressives, but he's got this totally limp-wristed politics. So it's always funny when they have those meltdowns. Good to hear your voice. I heard we had a great program last night. I heard there were a lot of great things established, a great flow, and just everything you'd want from a from a program. So I'm sending you a hug. Truly, to truly everybody is, listening. Man. Truly, it truly is, and we couldn't do it without the viewers, and and your wonderful panel. Everyone other than me, I'm trouble, but everyone else on here is really what makes this show work. Rory, I love you, brother. I'm sending you a hug. I love you, too, and I'm sending you a big hug. Right on, my man. Take care. All righty. Let's see here. Who else we got on the line? I believe we have Matt from Ohio. Matt, how are you? Oh, Mark, you mean Mark? Mark from Ohio. Mark. Yeah, I'm I'm doing great. I'm honored to be back on your show again tonight, and looking forward to a great show, man. I had to agree with your with 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 the doctor though, Fredo, man. That was just that was just too much. <laughs> funny stuff, Real, really funny stuff. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and, and that that ties into a red flag uh, discussion too, in a way. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the show tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to get right into that. I uh, also want to welcome, I believe I have him on the line with us, military expert, veteran, engineer, political advisor, campaign manager, activist, and new, he's a new political candidate running for office, Chris Kaspersky. How are you, my friend? Welcome back. Hey, hey Rory. Good to, have, good to be back here. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm glad you could join us tonight. I obviously um, have a have a we have a we have a big guest coming on in about 20 minutes. Uh, I I want you to be with us on the opening segment, and then right after we have our first guest, in, at about in about 45 minutes, about probably 11 p.m. Eastern, I'll have you on the panel, and I'll start asking you a bunch of questions, getting getting up to date, seeing what's going on in your life. Sounds great. All right, man. Well, I'm glad you're with us tonight, and uh, I missed you, and I'm glad everything's going well in your life. Thanks, buddy. All right, everybody. So I want to get into, obviously, the main headline, Fredo, man. I tell you, this this Chris Cuomo thing, this thing has me just in complete laughter. Like, I, I, I can't get enough. I watched the video over and over, and it's, the, it's so fake. There is so much 
hyperbolic behavior from Chris, Chris Cuomo. You know, he, he's even called his, himself Greedo. If you look at a 2010 interview, he called himself Greedo. And what it usually means is, is the, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like the little brother, but I guess it could mean the dumb little brother. But, you know, he was, he was referring to himself, himself as Frito in a 2010 interview because he was the little brother of, the, you know, Andrew Cuomo. So I don't understand. Well, actually, I do. I mean, this is obvious. This is an act. This is all, you know, I mean, this is, this is what Cuomo you know, and everybody at CNN does. They act. You know, they put on this show. And what, what do Democrats and what do these media people do perfectly? Play the victim. Act like they're the ones that are, you know, the, the complete victim. They've done nothing wrong. And I'm not saying, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. We only saw a couple minutes of the video. So it would be hard to speculate and give a full observation of, of everything that happened. But we obviously saw what we saw. And that was, what, two minutes? And we're going to have to play that clip here in a second. But from what we saw, we see a hypocrite in Chris Cuomo. This guy is always talking about how violent Trump supporters are, how Trump supporters threaten people, how, how you know, Republicans are dangerous. But what the hell did he do? What did he do? He threatened to beat the guy up and throw him down the stairs. Did you hear the Trump supporter one time? For the people that have seen it, did you hear the Trump supporter one time? Threatened Chris Cuomo. No, he did not. This is just more evidence that the left is the radical party. They're the violent ones. They're the people that we need to watch out for. And he's not offended Chris Cuomo. He just wanted a show. He wanted a, a whole, you know, spectacle. He wanted, he wanted the, the audience to see all of this. And we all know what the mainstream media does. They coddle their buddies on the left. And the people on the right are the automatic enemy. So no matter what, Chris Cuomo knows that he's going to be favored anyway. And the conservative is always going to have – is not going to win, especially the, you know, the way it kind of looked. Because there's even people on the left that are saying that Fredo is racist. Come on. You all know it's not racist. Everybody knows that's not racist. I've, I have many Italian friends, and I've talked to several of them today, and I've asked them, is that word racist? And some of them have never even heard of the word. You've only really heard of it if you've watched the movie Godfather. You know, it, it was the dumb younger brother in Godfather. So, and then when you, bro, when you go and try to say that it's comparable to the N-word, come on, man. Dude, it, it's I, that might be the dumbest statement of the year. There's awards, and there's been a lot of dumb statements this year by a lot of these political pundits and these commentators. But if, if this is dumbest statement of the year, it might go to Chris Cuomo for comparing Fredo to the N-word. Come on. Nobody, you know, nobody named Fredo uh, was, you know, was in slavery. Nobody named Fredo was tortured with that word there, you know, back, back in the day. Come on, the, the N-word, you know, this is just silly. This is silly. It's not, even, it's not even close. I mean, the fact that he even made that comparison, you know, is shocking, and I can't believe that CNN didn't take some sort of action and punish him. I'm not saying fire him, but maybe put him on leave. But no, 
what happens? No accountability for threatening the guy. He basically plays the victim, and people start agreeing with him that Fredo is racist at CNN, and all these liberal media people are, are trying to say it is too. And you got Anthony Scaramucci, the turncoat, who is Italian, who's trying to say Fredo is racist. We all know Anthony Scaramucci just wants attention, and we all know he's anti-Trump now, and I don't know who's filling his pockets, but there's somebody from the left. I mean, this, this is just crazy. This is crazy. I have never seen more idiocy in my life. I don't know what to think here, guys. Like, is this, is this what we're dealing with? We have so many issues going on in our country and in the world, and, and this is the main headline today. I mean, this is, this is just silly. You know, and why, obviously, Chris Cuomo, he gave an apology. He said he shouldn't have reacted the way he did. And, you know, that's nice of him. Um, you know, that, that's really, um, that was courteous. But at the same time, I mean, take accountability, man. You know damn well, Chris, that the word Fredo is not racist. You've used it yourself about yourself, and you did nothing when they called Don Jr. it on CNN several times. You laughed at it. So it's a two-way street, buddy. You can't have it both ways. And, I, and, and you know what? I'm not okay with anybody approaching, you know, anyone when they're, when they're with their family, especially, you know, I don't know what, what was said with this Trump supporter, but obviously we know we like to give CNN people a hard time, but you know, it, obviously things escalated quickly, and Chris Cuomo is with his family, so that part I think kind of needs to be addressed and said that I, I am not okay with anybody um, ambushing anybody when they're with their family. But I don't know who started it, but I'm just saying if it, hypothetically it was the Trump supporter that said something snarky and then things got heated, I, I just, you know, I want to put that out there. I don't care who it is. Never bug people or be rude or threatening when they're with their family. It's, you know, the kids see it, you know, it's just a bad example. You know, take the guy outside if you have a problem with him. Um, you know, but uh, I will say that, you know, just the fact that this is even a headline, I just, I'm sick to it. It's uh, crazy. Let's play this clip, though. One, four. Yeah, you're going to have a fucking problem. What? What are you going to do about I'll, it? I'll fucking ruin your shit. I'll fucking something. throw you down these stairs like a fucking punk. I thought that's who you were. No, oh. punk-ass bitches from the right call me Fredo. My name is Chris Cuomo. I'm an anchor on CNN. Oh. Fredo is from the Godfather. He was that weak brother. I know it was you, Fredo. Your and they use it as an Italian aspersion. Any of you Italian? Oh, you I got, Italian? I got a little it's a fucking of... insult to your people. It's an insult to your fucking people. It's like the N-word for us. Wow. So is that a cool fucking thing? You're a much more reasonable guy in person than you seem to be on television. Yeah, but if you want to play, then we'll fucking play. If you've got Wait something you want to say about what I do on television, then say it. But I'm just going to fall me. Hey, man. Hey, listen. What? what? I don't want any problems. Yeah, you're going to have a big fucking problem. What's the problem? It's a little different on TV. Don't fucking insult me like that. I didn't insult you. You, you told me Fredo. It's like I call you punk bitch. You like that? 
You want that to be your nickname? I didn't call you that. I, I, you I, called me Fredo. I you know my name's not fucking Fredo. I thought your name was. You did not think my name was fucking Fredo. Don't be a liar. I you want to be a man, stand, stand up like a man. I'm standing up, man. You want to be a man, I'm here. Then fucking own it. Then own what you said. Hey. Then own what you said. Listen, take him out. What's wrong with you, man? You're going to have a fucking problem. What? What are you going to do about it? I'll fucking ruin your shit. I'll fucking throw you down these stairs like a fucking punk. What do you do? Why? You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So you can fucking sue? Well, why don't you do it? Take a fucking swing. Watch your fucking hands. Watch your fucking hands. Take a swing. No, no, come on, boy. Come on, boy. You want to call me shit? Call me shit. I'm right fucking here. I'll fucking wreck your shit. I'll fucking wreck your shit. Stop. You didn't ask me that. You didn't know what you were doing when you called me I thought it was your name, man. I thought it was your name. You didn't know, right? You didn't know what you were saying, right? I thought it was your name. I'm breaking it up. I'm breaking it up. Here's a little entry. I wanted to be like Wonder Woman, and I'm going to wear a shirt that says it. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. What's with the air kisses? So many more questions. Jesus Christ. So, you know, this is just insane. It's insane. that we're, This is what we're talking about as headline news. But you know what? It's all over the news today. And, you know, uh, Fre- Fredo, Fredo, whatever the hell his name is, Chris Cuomo. You know, is getting that little uh, that little extra airtime that he loves. He loves the attention. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. That clip really says it all. I mean, yeah. Look at the way he's threatening. Read... Look at the way he's talking. Look at the vulgar language, and he likes to give us lectures about it. He needs to freaking work on he, himself. Hypocrite. He, that's right. He he is talking like a thug. And did you read his apology? He said yeah, in his apology, truth is I should have been better than the guys baiting me. Now, what does CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, all of these other stations do to President Trump 24-7? What do all those political pundits do? What do the people that they plant in the audience do? They bait Donald Trump 24-7, and they've been doing it now for almost three years. Como gets called Fredo, and look how he goes off. He has no right to even begin to judge the president. And when I heard his apology saying, oh, yeah, I should have been better. These guys baited me. That's all you do with Trump. And Trump doesn't talk like that. Trump doesn't go into rants like, I should throw you down the stairs. And this whole, you know, you got, you know, I love the Godfather. And when, when, when he, you know, Michael looked at Fredo and said, hey, you broke my heart. You know, yeah. that is the lesser brother. That's the idiot brother. That's the betrayer. That is the, because Fredo betrayed Michael, right? And that's what happened. And that is Chris Cuomo. And I'll tell you what, Fredo is a great term to put on this guy, especially the way that he just talked now. I've, I, you know, and my, 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 my grandfather uh, on my mother's side was, was Sicilian. And the thing is, is that I've never heard anybody ever say that Fredo was a, a derogatory term. You know, there's other terms that were used to describe Italians, and quite frankly, we, we, they, no one cared. 
You know, my mother's Polish. No, no one cares about Polish jokes, you know, on my side of the family. They, they don't care. So you know, when I heard him freak out because somebody called him Fredo, oh, my goodness yeah. gracious, what a thug. You know, CNN, it, they shouldn't fire him because of, 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 of uh, uh, reacting. They should fire him the way that he was so non-professional. He should have. No one should have ever reacted like that. That was a, that was a, a meltdown and a half. And it, you know, quite frankly, I couldn't believe it happened. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, this is this is why you know they're called snowflakes. You know, and it's you know what they love drama, and the fact that Chris Cuomo can spin this to his advantage. And so many people on the left agree that it's racist. I mean, the, the brainwashing and the people can, he can convince with this stupidity, it, is it, doesn't it blow your mind? Well, it, it doesn't. And don't you remember that every time there is a Columbus Day parade, the left yeah. yells and screams and says, the Italians, they're nothing. They never discovered America. Right. They aren't this. They oppressed. Christopher Columbus oppressed the Indians. He oppressed this. He only would. Oh my gosh! Now, 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 Chris Cuomo is the victim. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my exactly. goodness gracious! Exactly, and you know what? It's I just the way he can get away with. Imagine if a Republican commentator tried to make that comparison. They'd be laughed at, and they wouldn't be taken taken seriously incredible you know, it's, it, it's crazy it really is and um yeah it's just i, I just can't even believe it uh, uh kevin go ahead i don't know how much more i could possibly add to this conversation considering rory you covered all the bases what we have right now is you have the media playing victimhood complex, as you had mentioned, and every single thing that ever comes out of a, a Trump supporter, a Republican's mouth is automatically they're going to consider as racist, try to spin it as hard as they can against uh, them to slant the story. And, of course, they're going to use any word they can and compare it to the N-word and you know, make it seem like it's the, the worst atrocity ever and Trump's like the, the core root, the core symptom of all this terrible, you know, hatred and bigotry. And, you know, these are some of the words that they use in, in this uh, conversation right now. And, of course, you have Chris Como acting absolutely unprofessional. He, apparently he's with his family, but he's not acting like a family man. He's acting like a thug. He's acting like, uh, you know, perhaps a lot of worse words that could be uh, used to call this, uh, this person who's acting, you know, not human. I mean, he's clearly – a bad person. He's he's turning. He's dividing the country using all this uh, you know ter- terrible rhetoric you know, against you know dividing us uh, us Americans apart. And um, it's it's absolutely uh, atrocious that we could be talking about so many other things. You know the actual issues, the problems that are actually facing our country. But no, we're talking about some random Trump supporter who who seems very respectful more or less, and uh, Chris Cuomo, who's, you know, absolutely using terrible language and threatening violence. Remember, violence is something that uh, the Trump supporters are being accused of, but um, we're not seeing any violence from the Trump supporters. It's, you know, we have 
these terrorist Antifa types that are, you know, raiding ICE offices and planning terror attacks, and they're they're arming up, creating bombs. I mean, we, we have seen nothing compared to what's coming with this leftist insanity and, and how violent they are. And why are they violent? Well, everything that the leftist media says against us Trump supporters, it you know, they are the ones guilty of these things. I mean, they're the ones that are arming up and planning attacks, and, you know, they are encouraging this violence against us. And that has to be, like, realized by all the right. I mean, they are, they are coming after you. They are targeting you. And they don't want to tolerate anything that, uh, you know, anything conservative, Republican, uh, they won't have it. They'll, they'll just destroy the conversation the best they possibly can. And you got to remember, too, it, it's not just the big media. I mean, these are on social media platforms, especially on, on Facebook, Twitter, all these platforms. Uh, they allow this kind of insightful, violent behavior. Um, this, you know, they're allowed to you know, say these uh, violent words towards Republicans, conservatives, and they, they don't get any consequences for doing so and it's because they're, they're encouraging this violence. So, uh, for example, we had 8chan, which was a you know, political discussion forum that was taken down because the El Paso shooter apparently used this site. Um, but, you know, we see rampantly across all these various mainstream media platforms violence it, it's it's rampant it really is and it's it's one-sided and you don't see twitter getting knocked down or you don't see these mainstream media sources getting you know even fines they're totally getting away with it in every way and they try to brush it off by creating these fake phony news pieces and narratives that it's absolutely atrocious and something needs to be done because the way that I see it, there's, you know, they're they're absolutely getting away with it, and it's just escalating tremendously. And I, I don't want to see people get hurt because it's it's going to happen. Absolutely, and you know, anybody that's trying to say that Fredo is racist, that term, it only wants attention, and it's completely lying. I mean, that, you know, it's it's just, yeah, I I I, I wish they weren't able to get away with stuff like this. I wish Trump would put some sort of law in place that would protect, you know, certain, uh, certain things. I don't know what, what he would put in place, but the, what these journalists and what these media companies are able to get away with is it's atrocious. The word you use, Kevin, you're absolutely right. Um, Daryl, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, as someone who grew up in Brooklyn, we've got a different term for, for, for uh, Mr. Cuomo. I'll go one step further. He's not just a, he's not just a Fredo, Fredo, but in Brooklyn, we call that a Guido. And, uh, you know, I didn't know if I was watching Jersey Shore or what's going on here. But, I mean, the guy sounds like Andrew Dice Clay. And I wouldn't have a huge problem with all of that, frankly. You know, if you're a tough, red-blooded guy and someone's and harassing did nothing. you in he front of your family. Like and just kept talking. Yeah. He just kept talking and yeah, talking. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, and was, you know, that, that wouldn't bother me so much if it wasn't compounded by the obnoxious veneer that he puts on on CNN as this, you know, hypersensitive white knight feminist with his enlightened attitudes and views. And, you know, again, we see him and he, he's basically, he's a Jersey, he's a Jersey Shore Guido. That's who he is in his personal life. And, you know, he presents these politics and it makes it, it makes it really all the more obnoxious. But I do think it's kind of interesting because he, he appears to be evolving on white identity politics. So maybe that's the silver lining is that we've actually got 
CNN now defending uh, slurs against white people, which is not something that I ever expected. So he's pushing the Overton window in that direction. So maybe there's something positive about it. But it does. It shows how slimy these people are and how duplicitous and self-serving they are, because it's very clear that what he presents himself on on TV is not the person who he is in real life. And, and not only that, but the way that he carries himself and lives his life is, is quite contradictory to the hyper-feminized world that he's pushing and shilling for for the Democrats. And it really shows that he's ultimately spineless because, you know, again, if you're a big red-blooded guy and that's, that's your identity and you're a tough guy and this comes out, it's really not that obnoxious, right? It's just kind of part of who you are. But we see now with someone like a Chris Cuomo that he's actually – he really isn't what he presents himself as. He's just doing it to play his part in this Democratic Party takeover, and it makes it really all the more disgusting because the policies that he supports so openly and is so against have a very visceral sense of hatred towards Europeans like his own people. So in a sense, we see that he does identify as an Italian, and yet he's with the Democratic Party whose central, central platform is around white replacement. So, you know, he's a very, very sick person is what this reveals, and uh, I, I, I think that – I hope that they do something to get rid of him, but it just shows you. It shows you that he's even more of a slimy person than we thought he was. He's, he's really just a really disgusting, disgusting person, and I do, I'm glad that this clip came out because it's very revealing, and it shows you who these people are. Yeah, very well said. Uh, we are going to get to our guest here in a second, John O'Connor, but I will go to Matt real quick in Ohio. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Okay, Smart. Um, last thing I got to add on uh, the uh, uh, Cuomo thing is, I, I, like you said, I'd like to see the beginning on that video because that kid just trolled the hell out of uh, uh, Chris on that. But later on, Trump trolled him again or trolled the 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 democrats really uh by by tying his behavior to the red flag law so that's going to make the the democrats have to defend cuomo's second amendment rights in a way which is kind of ironic yeah and then, oh, yeah. Uh, after after that i think i think this epstein stuff is just going to kind of blow up for a little bit I think the Chris Cuomo thing was kind of a distraction from it over the weekend, but they just they're they're going in. They're going to go in on all the other people that were connected, uh, you know, Gisling Maxwell and Jeffrey or um, not Jeffrey Epstein, Prince Andrew, and uh, they're just going to keep dragging it out, and you know, more and more they drop more documents, more and more people are going to be exposed, so. I think that's going to be in the headlines for a little bit longer. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Chris, go ahead, then we're going to go to commercial, and then we'll introduce John O'Connor. But, Chris, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that that was uh, quite laughable, really. I mean, you have a guy who sits there and pontificates from his throne uh, on CNN about, you know, being – uh, uh, the bigger person and how much of a bully President Trump is and everything. And then you see the guy for uh, what his real stripes are. Um, you know, obviously, 
uh, when, when you're in the, in the political limelight like that, there's going to be those trolls out there who would try to goat you into that stuff. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're given that, that position, you really should, uh, try to be the better person. But I think that he just revealed the type of person that he really is. So, um, you know, kudos to that guy who sort of lifted the, the mask off of it. kind of like the, you know, Scooby-Doo, flicks that we see where you, you finally get right. to reveal who the, the real uh, villains are and all of this. But, um, you know, we, we kind of all knew this anyway. So to me, it wasn't really that surprising. Um, you know, you just sort of, it's, it's interesting to see how these people actually respond in, in the real world to these situations. And, you know, it's actually unfortunate because, uh, you know, his family and his kids were all there, and I'm sure they were pretty embarrassed by it all. I'm sure my family would be if I behaved that way. So, Yeah, exactly. Definitely not um, showing the, uh, the best example. That's for damn sure. Um, everybody, uh, we will be right back. Uh, please stay with us, and we'll be right back with John O'Connor. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love like chicken, shrimp, and cheese just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey, flat iron steak, and the tastiest sizzling street foods. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. She's still the one for you. And Cialis for Daily Use helps you be ready anytime the moment is right. Cialis is also the only daily ED tablet approved to treat symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision or any allergic reactions like rash, hives, swelling of the lips, tongue, or throat, or difficulty breathing or swallowing, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use and a free 30-tablet trial. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Listen to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. Also remember, 
Next month, we will be releasing the new 24-7 uh, network. I'm sorry about the delay. Uh, like I said, many notable people will be doing their own shows. And my good friend, America's toughest sheriff, Joe Arpaio, and director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer, both of those guys will be the main faces of the, of the, of the network. We're very excited. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show a uh, very talented guy, uh, popular U.S. attorney, lobbyist, activist, and best-selling author, John O'Connor. John, welcome to the program. How you doing, Rory? Good to talk doing to you. Doing very well, my friend. Um, glad to have you. Um, since it's your first time on, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how it all started for you, you know, the different chapters in your life and the different adventures. It sounds like you've done a lot, man. It's been quite the, quite the resume for you. Yeah, well, I, uh, Rory, I came out to San Francisco in 1972 thinking I'd just be a, I'd prosecute cases for a few years and go back to Indianapolis and practice with my father. And, you know, one thing led to another. I tried cases with Melvin Belli, went to the U.S. Attorney's Office for six years, uh, had my own firm, uh, did a lot of different things, uh, got to work on the Patty Hearst case, uh, Worked with Bob Mueller back when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, and then uh, and then uh, sort of going forward, uh, worked with some law firms, uh, and then in uh, the early 2000s, I'd always been interested in Watergate, Rory, and and uh, and so back in the 70s when I was a U.S. Assistant U.S. Attorney, I figured out the deep throat was Mark Felt, and. Uh, so I just sort of kept that to myself. Uh, didn't think anybody would care about what some lawyer thought in San Francisco. And then 25 years later, I realized that one of the kids I knew that was uh, friends with my daughter at school uh, was uh, Mark Felt's grandson. And uh, I was somewhat amazed. And I said, well, Nick, uh, do you know that your grandfather is deep throat? Um, and he said, no, that's sort of surprising. Uh, we've had some hints it might be him, but geez, is he really? I said, yeah, let me ask your mom if I can come up and talk to him. That was in 2002. And then finally, by 2005, I was able to talk Mark into, A, admitting he was deep throat, B, coming out, C, finding a publisher, uh, which was difficult uh, without Bob Woodward confirming uh, his uh, his uh, cred. So, uh, you know, one thing led to another. We ended up doing having some fun. I wrote a book uh, with Mark. Uh, we had a great article in Vanity Fair. We've uh, had a little movie. So um, just uh, because of my interaction with uh, the Post, Woodward, and then various people from the Post, uh, you know, uh, years later, I got kind of curious. There's some things that kind of struck me as being odd about the Post. I was always a big fan of their Watergate reporting, which I thought was perfect. Uh, you know, I thought it was the the uh, exception to the rule of today's terrible media bias. I thought, gee, everything was perfect in Watergate. Uh, but I started seeing some little things that kind of bothered me and puzzled me, and I started doing some research, thinking that maybe I'd have a little article to write in a paper, in a magazine someplace, and then as I got into the research, I thought, well, gee whiz, maybe I got a little book here. And then after I really got into it, I said, wow, this is really pretty huge. Uh, uh, really, our most important scandal, our most important civic issue in our democracy, Watergate, 
really was caused by media bias, and I'm not talking about opinion. I'm talking about facts. So I was very stunned. Um, I consider, Rory, I consider the biggest problem in our democracy today is is media bias from the mainstream media. Uh, whatever you're talking about, this Russian collusion stuff just being the latest example of how everybody gets uh, led down the primrose path without real facts being uh, examined so the public can make their own decisions. I, I, I'm not against facts that hurt my side of the road, but I want the facts to be out there. And uh, global warming, same thing. Uh, but anyway, examining Watergate, guess what I found? Uh, rather than it being the exception to this you know, really biased uh, factual rendition we get all the time, it's really the cause of it. The Watergate reporting is really the cause, and it's sort of been kept under wraps for 47 years since I got the moment, Rory, I got out here and start, I started on June 19, 1972 with Melvin Belli, who was a great trial lawyer. And the day before, we all found out about this Watergate burglary. So this thing has been hanging fire for as long as I've been a lawyer, 47 years. And, uh, and, uh, and yet the public really never really learned all the facts and really learned what happened to Nixon. Uh, Nixon was guilty of a few things. He covered up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, did he get a fair trial? Absolutely no. Uh, he did not. Uh, he Facts were hidden from the public. Uh, the public never heard him. And uh, in essence, it's like a uh, criminal defendant was convicted but without all the exculpatory evidence uh, being presented uh, that might have said, well, okay, Nixon didn't do a great thing, but Gee whiz, let's consider whether we really want to remove him from office. Um, uh, Bill Clinton had that privilege. He had all the facts come out, and uh, he got acquitted in his trial. President Nixon got driven out because of media bias. And so that's really what my book is about. Uh, it, the name of it is Postgate, um, uh, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. So if not to be too melodramatic here, uh, Rory, but I think it's, like I say, I started out thinking what I was doing was just sort of a hobby, and it turned out to be, mm -hmm. I think, real, real important, um, if I may say so. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's something, let's put it that way. Um, and so when you think about it, I mean, look at – where we are today, I mean, look at uh, uh, Russian collusion. There were facts that if the mainstream media were honest about them and really revealed them and really gave the public both sides of this, we never would have had to have a two-year Mueller investigation. This thing was obviously a sham from the start, uh, and we would have known it. Uh, but here we are. We almost lost the president again. And, uh, and and our civic energy was sapped by this stuff, and we didn't get a lot done that we could have gotten done. And uh, and it's still going on, it's still going on, and people won't uh, won't uh, really come come clean with the facts. And so that's really uh, what I see is the problem 
when you start this, it's wonderful to say, oh, gee, Watergate started this wonderful thing called investigative journalism. And I think it can be wonderful if you're talking about whether gymnasts in the Olympics were getting uh, molested by a doctor. Sure. That's wonderful investigative reporting the Indianapolis Star did. But when you start investigating a political figure, that's great. I think everybody should be accountable, but there should be a real burden on the investigator to tell both sides. It's like I'm a lawyer. I never go into court by myself to talk to a jury by myself. There's always somebody else that if I say something wrong, the other guy's going to correct me and say, look, O'Connor just mis- misstated a fact or he ignored a fact, and I do that to the other guy. So we keep each other honest uh, as we try to figure out what happened and try to present our case to the jury. But, you know, if you go out and investigate somebody in this investigative journalism, the tendency is for the investigator, if he's going to get a Pulitzer Prize and get every attaboys from all his buddies, is, is, is to ignore extenuating and mitigating and exculpating facts, uh, to ignore sound common sense inference and to just roar and scream and yell and uh what we have is what we have is uh really terrible terrible public discourse um you you look at the masthead of the washington post and it says democracy dies in darkness well right. you know i i agree with that and you probably do too, and that's probably what you're doing in your show. I just listened to you had a wonderful discussion. Uh, let's get yes. the facts out. Let's not just have right. one side of it. Yeah. Oh, so. I got I got so many I got so many things to ask you. So first of all, let's go back just a little bit. What explain working with Mueller? What was that like? Well, let me tell you this, Bob came in actually, although he's a couple years older than I am, he came in after me in the office. And is really, as advertised, a real straight trooper, you know, comes in early, wears white shirts, uh, you know, works hard. And he was a real good guy. He was a real um, good athlete. Uh, He played hockey. He was a lacrosse player. He worked out all the time and uh, worked hard. Uh, And uh, he sort of was straight down the line. And I really like Bob, and uh, and most people did, and most people thought this is a guy that really is as advertised. So, you know, um, I I uh, I don't know. I'll just say this without. I don't want to go too far here. I'll just say uh, the Bob Mueller I saw on TV uh, just recently was not the same sharp, uh, tough guy I knew. Um, but uh, you know he's a great guy. He's just fantastic. Uh, he was a friend of mine, um, and uh, I hated to see him uh, uh, appear. I wish uh, the Democrats would have had a little more uh, sense and let his report speak for itself, uh, whatever it might be. However, right, wrong, or indifferent it was, uh, they should let it. They shouldn't have brought him in. But but he was a good guy. He was a real good guy. Uh, and so I got I have absolutely I'll never say anything bad about the guy. Um I think we now see that probably if just from the reports in the post and the times that came out later, I think the investigation was really run by the other guys. Uh they seem to be right. uh to you know, so it's one of those things and uh what can we say? 
But in, in my, you know, part of the pitch I would make today is that if the media really told you how phony the Steele dossier was and how phony uh, the idea was that Joseph Mithsud was a Russian agent or that Sergey Million knew what he was talking about, you never would have had him. It's just a ridiculous investigation. I don't blame Mueller. Somebody gave him the investigation. Comey had teed it up. He gets assigned an investigation. He's got to investigate it, and he's got to take it. And you're a special counsel. Uh, you're a hammer, and, to, and and everything else is a nail. So uh, you got to do it. I don't blame him. Uh, I blame the guys who tried to foist this thing on us, and it's just uh, – I, I think it was too bad. Um uh, I don't know what you think about it, but I certainly thought it was a waste of our civic energy, frankly. So but, you uh, do think you do think it was it, they totally, you know, like jammed this down Mueller's kind of throat. You you don't think you think Mueller was just like the 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 poster person for it. You don't actually think he was behind the operations. Well, here's what I would say. Uh, first of all, the collusion invest the collusion side of it. It was very clear there just wasn't any evidence. Uh, when I read the report and saw all these theories about how there was almost obstruction, the ten cases of almost obstruction, I right. saw basically, I saw basically Mueller being the thin blue line that kept uh, the wild Indians under him from saying any of that stuff was obstruction, and the report said. It was they can't say it's obstruction. Well, that's all the prosecutor's supposed to say is whether you can say something is a crime. You're not supposed to say how you, whether you can exonerate them. Uh, I found the theories. Now you can disagree on this. Other people that used to be assistant U.S. attorneys who are more liberal say, "Oh, gee, a lot of that these obstruction theories were good." I thought they were very weak, um, and I saw the way I read the report is I saw that those 10 theories in there were put in there because his staff was yelling and screaming to put them in. And then you put in this gratuitous stuff about, well, Congress is supposed to look to impeach and all that stuff. They don't, they don't have any business talking about whether you impeach, you don't impeach, or you know what you have for lunch. I mean, it's none of their business. They're supposed to say whether there's a crime or not, and there wasn't a crime. Uh, what I would say, Rory, is this. When you talk about obstruction of justice, and you have all these theories about, gee, there was almost obstruction, I will tell you this, that every good lawyer in the country today almost obstructed justice because that's what we're supposed yes, to do. Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're supposed to talk to a witness and get him legally and without corruption to, to change his testimony in our direction, maybe a little bit. What was the car going 35 miles an hour, not 30? Don't you think so, Mr. Smith? You're not doing anything corrupt or false. You're just using your skills. Uh, you may think it's a good idea to uh, conflict the other lawyer out. Well, maybe your client will say, let's conflict him out. You say, no, I don't think we have a basis. Okay, that's not obstructing justice. That's practicing law. Uh, you know, you answer an interrogatory and maybe – you object, and you can argue whether you should have objected. Are you obstructing justice? No. If a witness says something that, gee, maybe isn't exactly accurate, I mean, if that's obstruction of justice, then every case I've ever had has obstruction of justice in it by multiple parties because everybody's a little bit – and everybody sees things a different way. So I, I found those theories kind of laughable, 
but uh, but but what I saw in reading was I said, thank God Bob Mueller's there because I think he was the thin blue line. Uh, I had given a few talks on this, and I said, look, these guys don't have to put their money where their mouth is. They don't really have to prove their obstruction case in court. So I think they just might come out and say they're there is obstruction on one of these cheap theories. And then they wouldn't have to, and then they could use the OLC opinion, which says a president can't be indicted to say, oh, gosh, we think he obstructed, but we're not going to indict him. Well, they, he didn't say that. To Mueller's credit, and I, I was very proud of Mueller for, uh, for not doing that and for not letting his staff do that, uh, to try to say to be chickens, to basically say there is obstruction, but gosh, we can't indict him. And he was very clear with Attorney General Barr and very clear in the report that the OLC opinion was not why he didn't find obstruction. Uh, the Democrats are trying to change that now, but the fact is uh, he just didn't find obstruction. It wasn't the OLC opinion that kept him from claiming. Now, Mueller in his testimony says, well, gee, I can't indict or charge anybody with obstruction if, because of the OLC opinion. Yes, but nothing prevents you from stating, asserting, alleging, saying that the president committed a crime. And if you thought he committed a crime, you know good and well you could say that in the report. You just can't indict him. But you can say, we believe the evidence is sufficient to charge President Trump with obstruction, but we are not doing that because of the OLC opinion. And gee, we hope the OLC opinion gets changed. They didn't do that because there was an obstruction. They didn't have an obstruction case. And all they did was they tried to dirty up the president on the way out. Uh, so uh, overall, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I never thought there was obstruction, but I thought they would charge it. They didn't charge it, so we ought to thank God for small favors. Uh, you know, he uh, and now when you look back on it, I think Weisman and his assistant Zeberly were really probably you know carrying the laboring oar, and they were hiring everybody and so forth. So. Like I say, Bob still has his integrity. He's a great guy, and that's the way I read it. I read it as him, and probably looks like he's lost a little energy, you know, and so forth, but still fighting the good fight and keeping these guys from doing the wrong thing. Anyway, that's my take. <laughs> Hope it. Uh, well, wow, very, very well said. And you know, you know, speaking, speaking of the Mueller investigation. Do you think there? You know, you you said you had a huge obsession and, and focus on the Watergate. Compare the similarities, in, in your opinion, between Watergate and uh, this whole Russia hoax. Well, in Watergate, surprisingly enough, and I followed it, and I was a prosecutor, and I looked at the evidence, and I said, "Boy, they've really nailed Nixon on this. They really have a case." And gee, they've shown that really there's no excuse. The CIA wasn't involved in this. Um, you know, they were. It was really all about the campaign. Well, look, Nixon covered up. He did that stupid thing. Uh, he had the uh, CIA lie to the FBI about a little matter, and there were a couple other things where he probably um, uh, allowed for hush money and so forth. But the real similarity is this: in the Russian collusion deal. James Comey and his buddies, I think, uh, basically, uh, when the matter became public, they hid the fact, they concealed the fact that these 
that there was no real claim there, and they knew it. They knew that Sergi Million, for instance, who was source DNA in the dossier, uh, it, it, it was ridiculous that he had no basis for knowing what he claimed to have known. They knew that. They knew that was phony. And they knew that everybody who supposedly um, evidenced Russian collusion, the so-called uh, Russian, mysterious Russian-connected Maltese professor, that was BS. He's connected to Western intelligence. He was one of the guys that Brennan and Comey sent in to try to gin up uh, some collusive activities, mainly so they could get a FISA warrant. I think that's what they really want, and they thought if they got a warrant, they could then get Trump on a lot of charges. So there, were, there was a lot of falsehood that they came out with that anybody with half a brain in the media could have exposed, and this thing would have, should have been as dead as a doornail. Uh, I wrote about this in June of 17, right after Mueller was appointed, and I talked about how phony the Russian collusion investigation was. I said, it's a phony deal. It's the elite phony deal. Now, let me compare that to – and so it's very obvious. I'm not saying that the media should have picked something up. I mean I picked it up, and I'm just a guy you know, that works 10 hours a day on other stuff and does this in my spare time. Um, so um, let's go to Watergate. Now, Watergate uh, has always been portrayed as being about the Republicans' campaign tricks against the Democrats. That that's why they broke into the DNC. But there was all kinds of evidence of which I found in my research, I found, and that's part of my book, is that the Post knew well but did not publish it and gave the public the opposite impression. That is to say that the CIA was not involved in the Watergate burglary. Now, the White House junior lieutenants were too. I'm not don't, – don't mistake me. They were involved too, but the CIA was – was behind it, and I, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing. They're behind a lot of different things. They'd infiltrated the White House, and it's pretty clear now. But the Post knew this, and the Post could have given us – and remember one of Nixon's excuses for uh, talking about the CIA, using the CIA to call off the FBI, is he said, I'd been told early on that the CIA might be involved here. In fact, my client, Mark Felt, said that about the third day after the burglary, that he thought that this was a CIA job, a White House job, or both, and it turned out to be both, lower-level White House guys uh, getting uh, uh, suckered in to a stupid deal by the CIA, which the CIA had done about five or six times before this. Uh, let me explain. And, and so anyway, the basic – Bottom line, I'll get back to the CIA thing in a second, Rory, but the basic deal here is that um, the Post knew this stuff and didn't publish it, concealed facts from the public, and gave an opposite impression. And that's my – when I got into this research and I saw what they knew and when they knew it, I'm thinking, wait a second. Richard Nixon was excoriated for covering things up. What about the Post? We hold everybody accountable these days, politicians, businessmen, athletes, even movie stars. Everybody's accountable. Who's not accountable? The media, right? Right. The media's not right. accountable. So that's, that's my big issue there. Let me go back to this concept of the CIA and what was going on back then. Mm -hmm. um, 
J. Edgar Hoover had decided that with all the civil rights winds blowing in Washington, he would stop doing what they call black bag jobs, uh, generally where you break into somebody's house or apartment looking not for purposes of getting evidence of a crime, but for national security purposes. Like if you thought Bin Laden, Bin Laden's wife was living in Brooklyn while she's gone, you break into her house and you find out if Osama's written her a note saying where she, he's going to blow up the next uh, something or other. That's always been okay. It's considered outside the Constitution, but for national security purposes, okay. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves on the basis of national security, even though it was otherwise against the Constitution to free the slaves. He did not free the slaves in the four non-belligerent states because he had no national security excuse. But national security, when necessary, overrides uh, some of the protections of the Constitution, like unreasonable search and seizure. So what happens is the FBI quit performing these black bag jobs back in the late 60s for the CIA because the CIA couldn't do them in America. They, um, the FBI had always done them for them, and Hoover got sick of the fact that the CIA was doing all this cowboyish stuff that Hoover thought would get them all in trouble because the FBI has to do stuff for the CIA. Some of this is true of the Russian investigation. There are certain things the CIA needs the FBI to do they can't do themselves, so they push the FBI into doing these things. So Hoover quit doing them, um, and generally speaking, and uh, the CIA was upset. There was a vacuum. Then the White House also was upset that Hoover, after doing some stuff for Henry Kissinger, tapping some news people who were leaking and doing a few other things, um, they were upset that the FBI was not helping the White House. So the White House wanted uh, – uh, some, some operative ability, but it had no operatives. The CIA had operatives, but it was illegal for them to do anything in the United States unless, unless, unless the president authorized it. The president can tell the CIA, I don't care what your charter says. I want you to go kill Hitler the next time he's in New York. The CIA can go kill Hitler, even though normally they couldn't kill anybody in the United States. But if the president says to do it, they can do it. And uh, and that's so that's the genesis of why the CIA infiltrated the White House so that they could use the White House as a tincture of legality and presidential authorization. So, for instance, when when they break into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. That was really something the CIA got the White House to agree to. That was for the CIA's purpose. They wanted to break into Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. They were interested in that kind of stuff in his psychiatric records. The CIA was very big on sexually compromising information in those days, um, and they were into a lot of nasty stuff. But they had infiltrated the White House uh, Howard uh, Hunt and, and James McCord. You look. I mean, you know, they were still reporting to case officers. It's very clear now. I mean, I'm not making it up. You look back and you can see them. You know, I've got CIA documents in which Hunt's reporting to his case officer. McCord's picked up at the jail by a case officer. So I'm not making this up. But the real question in my mind is, what did the Post know about this stuff? And they knew very well. 
And what they did is they went out of their way so that the public would know. And they wouldn't know that basically the um, uh, the wiretappers were really looking to – were listening to sort of out-of-town Democratic politicians talking on on a private phone to the girls down the street that they would get referred to by someone in the DNC. So that was what everybody was listening to. Uh, that never made it out, uh, never got into evidence in the trial. Uh, the prosecutors tried. Um, and, uh, but the post, uh, kept these things out of the public domain. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I, I've, I've done a real study of their reporting and how they really energetically bent over backwards to make this look like it was some sort of a campaign, uh, deal. Mm-hmm. Roy, let, let me set you up. Let's go back to 1972. People were always puzzled. There's this burglary. People are always puzzled. Why would Nixon want to go into the DNC when the campaign hadn't started? The DNC didn't have any campaign information. No no candidate had been nominated, and the head of the DNC, Larry O'Brien, had already decamped for Florida, and he was the head. He would be the guy that would have the information. There was no right. information to be gained, and Nixon always said – how stupid am I that why would people think I'm so stupid that I would want to break into the DNC? There was nothing there. People could never figure it out. Now, Rory, think about who it was that was arrested. So, Four so in other words, do you, the, think Nixon, do you think Nixon was totally set up, no crime there at all, and you know they basically – in a way, they framed him, right? Right. They framed him. Now, to be fair, some of the lower-level – guys uh, were talked into this. They thought they'd feather their own nest by trying to get dirt on the Democrats. They knew the Democrats were talking to the girls too, but it was basically lower lieutenants with the CIA. So the way the Post portrayed it, it was some campaign deal that John Mitchell and Richard Nixon must have known about. Uh, It's ridiculous. It made no sense at all. Mitchell never approved this. He thought, you know, uh, when that they had actually tried to present something to him early on, and he just waved his hand and said, "Get that out of here and burn the charts." Uh, so Nick Mitchell got framed on that. Nixon didn't know anything. So then what happens is he's sort of between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't know who's done this. He has no idea. Nobody will fess up to it. So naturally, he he does some covering up. Everybody covers up. It's the fact of life. And so I'm I'm not going to sit here and say he didn't cover up. He did. But he also was covering up something that he had no part of. He didn't know what had happened, and he also was taking the advice of John Dean. John Dean told him to do that deal with the uh, FBI and CIA, so uh, at least that's the evidence, it seems like. So Nixon – so I don't want to say he was completely set up, but here's where he was set up by the media. What happened is they made Nixon look much worse than he was. They made it look – and so – Impeachment is a political act. I mean, Bill Clinton covered up. I'm sure Lyndon Johnson committed crimes and other people committed crimes, but they don't. That doesn't necessarily mean you get impeached. It's got to be something where people say you're not fit for office. And what happened with Nixon was, if is he never got tried in the court of public opinion with all the facts known, uh, and that's what is bothersome. Here we are, most powerful nation on earth. 
a very successful president, reelected by 49 states, I think, 48 states, uh, overwhelming majority, had very successful programs in place, uh, was sort of managing everything pretty darn well in some tough times. And all of a sudden, he's drummed out of office. And the people who drummed him out, I'm one of them. I thought, gee, he's done all these bad things. I guess he's got to go. I agree. I kind of like the guy. I began to like him. And uh, now, like everybody else, I said, well, gee, he's got to go. Well, if I would have heard these facts, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, it's really hard now after 47 years of thinking Nixon's this terrible guy. And now you got to go back and, you know, and, and it's very tough. It's very tough. And now we've got history books written about Watergate that just aren't factual. We've got a democracy, and then, you know, of course, every time there's a scandal, somebody gets on the stand and says, oh, boy, this is just like Watergate, or it's worse than Watergate, or Trump's worse than Nixon, and all that baloney. And it's and what it is is, I think, unfortunately, the upshot of Watergate was not that we'll do these wonderful uh, fact-finding missions, which I always looked at it as, is the post helping the FBI uncover facts. And to a certain extent, they did. In certain areas, they did. But what is the problem is, is that I think that the media now sees that they can control the story, control events, and they have political power. And they can make or break a president. They can make or break a politician. Uh, and uh, they use that power now, and, and there's nobody to hold them accountable. And what I want people to do is I want people to demand mm-hmm. that these – Media outlets give us facts. Right. Don't just give us arguments. Give us right. facts. Tell us the well, facts about global warming. I don't want you to say that yeah. it's an existential threat and we all are going to go to hell in 20 years. Tell us yeah. about the studies and tell both sides. And let's say let's see how sensitive the climate is to CO2 and whether or not that's really the driver. Let's talk about it rather than yelling at somebody as being right. a denier. And you've cut off all democratic debate. Uh, our, 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 you know, the post says democracy dies in darkness. Let's have right. enlightenment values, marketplace of ideas. The truth shall, you know, scientists, science, uh, science uh, rests on skepticism, on seeing the other side. Debate rests on that. Uh, thesis, yep. synthesis, uh, and all that stuff. And, uh, right. and we don't have that. And and. Uh, if we don't have that, our democracy dies, and I, that's what I see. Yeah. And have I you, want everybody to rise seen, up and say, "Yeah." Have you seen the media? This, I mean, I know the media has been dishonest and biased for many years, but have you ever seen it to this extent or this kind of this level of hostility? I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's you've got ninety nine percent of the mainstream media against Trump. You know. You know, probably probably about ninety seven percent to be fair. You got that three percent that is fair to conservatives, but ninety seven percent favors liberals and it they lie every single second of the day. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, here's the problem. I think now it's kind of a badge of honor uh with Trump and I see this continuing right. to the future. It's like the more right. you can be hostile to Trump, the better person you are. And pe- yep. there are people out there competing to call him a, a fascist yep. or whatever, uh, rather right. than just say, okay, here's what he did today. Is it good, bad, or indifferent? Here's his policy. How's this working out? And no, I've yep. never, I, I don't think. I mean, I think it was real bad with 
uh, on the presidents, but it's gotten progressively worse. You know, um, Ronald Reagan right. gets into office, and all of a sudden he's he's responsible for homelessness as if it just popped up when he got elected. You know, uh, George Bush comes in and you know runs the Iraq War, and of course he's Hitler, and it keeps going like this. And but uh, I don't think it has reached a fever pitch like it has now. This is like nothing we've ever seen. And it's tremendously emotional. Uh, you know, a lot of the old philosophers talked about reason being the slave of passion. And right. on the media side, passion comes first. And whoever gets criticized, is there any person in the mainstream media that gets criticized for being too ridiculous in their criticisms about Trump? Is there any politician nope. who gets criticized? All they get is praise, no. and, and they get – they get celebrated. They get glorified. Yeah, the more you can yell at the guy, the more you can claim he's a fascist or this or that or the other. You know, yeah. uh, You know. let me give you a, a little idea about a fact, Rory. Uh, right. you know, I'm Irish. I've studied the right. fact that uh, with a name like Rory, it sounds some, somebody in your family's Irish. Uh, yeah, you know, very, and, yeah uh, very Irish. Yep. And so, you know, back in the 1840s and 1850s, and really going to the 1920s, uh, there was a lot of anti-Catholic bias in the country, especially against Irish people. I understand oh, why. I mean, a lot of them were poor, poor and, 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 you know, and, and, and ill-spoken and drank too much. But that's right. the source of this yeah. go back to where you came from, the Know Nothing Party. That's what it was all about, go back to where you came from. Now, I would like somebody – I don't know when Trump says go back to where you came from, which is a logical right. response to uh, you know, the, the person who says, gee, you, you know, I thought America was great in this other country, and now I'm over here, and it's really terrible. So I understand why he said it. Uh, maybe it was inartful. But the next question is, is it racist? And I'd like a discussion. Is it racist? Let's talk about whether it's racist rather than – the exactly. media people just saying, oh, we decided because yeah. we're kings yeah. and we're really intellectual guys. This is racist. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. I mean, they immediately say racist, racist, racist. I mean, it, 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 it really is, uh, you know, an insanity to, to a whole new level. And have you, you know, just, just with, you know, obviously your book points out lots of the flaws uh, with, explain that. Your, your book points out lots of the flaws with the media and with certain situations. Tell the audience. Yeah, well, really what I do is I say basically in so many words I'm showing people the playbook. This is the biggest triumph by journalism in history, and it was by one paper, so it's easy to focus on one paper, the Washington Post, which got yeah. awards for being the one paper yeah. that caused Watergate. Right. Okay, and my, my client and my client helped him. Mark Felt helped him. And he aided them immeasurably in and he wanted to keep the FBI investigation open. So to a certain extent he was very grateful uh, to the post. But what I see in this book is they created the playbook. They just overwhelmed, they flooded the zone, so to speak, with articles. Um uh, they kept at these themes, and the more they said it, I mean, who's gonna who's gonna refute it? Uh, they just you just keep saying things, and you avoid uh, getting to the real facts, and you maybe uh, you know besides concealing facts, you also 
maybe do a little bit, and I talk about it, and I show how maybe what they say isn't exactly true. They kind of, uh, you know, distort a little bit here when it gets close to the truth and then shut off the discussion. Uh, And uh, so I go through, and I basically talk about the playbook. And if you see that there's one scandal we all believed in, and that's, and we still believe in today is Watergate. The Watergate was fairly decided. You read my book, and this stunned me because for 40 years, I thought Watergate was the ideal of investigative reporting, the ideal of combination of uh, federal investigators and reporters, and isn't this wonderful? And yet, and yet, um, through the playbook I talk about and how they do it, you realize how we all got fooled. Let me give you one thing that maybe your audience may remember, you may remember in either the book or the movie. When there's one time when Deep Throat runs into the garage and he's completely frantic, and he said, everybody's life's in danger. Uh, You're being wiretapped. You might get killed. Beware. Woodward goes back to the apartment where Bernstein is. They turn on the music louds to avoid being wiretapped, and he types out CIA on a piece of paper. They go to see Ben Bradley that night, and we'll only talk to Ben in the middle of the night in, in his yard so they weren't wiretapped. And, and it's a dramatic part of the movie. And uh, in the book, uh, Deep Throat has said, well, the CIA is afraid of what might be uncovered in Watergate. Uh, and then in the book, on the, all the presidents, uh, Woodward and Bernstein say, but nothing ever came of this. And it was just sort of a – now that we know that – and the movie just sort of lets it go. Uh, but now that we know that Deep Throat was the head of the FBI, you think, wait a second. This guy's not a guy that just made this up about the CIA. Um, he, <laughs> he knows of what he speaks. And sure enough, I go into the book about exactly what Mark Felt was talking about. And what it was yeah. that Woodward and Bernstein did, did not print. They had plenty of information. Right. Not only didn't print his warning, but there's all kinds of other evidence they had of the CIA doing really nasty stuff to cover up Watergate. The CIA really got into it heavily there to make sure yeah. the witnesses stayed quiet. And But is anybody told that? To this day, nobody's been told that. And so – Concealment, concealment is 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 what the the key is. Is concealment of, you know, if there's an unfavorable fact, you just don't say it. So yeah. that's what I see. Um, and so I think if people, my idea is that if people can see what happened at this historically important time, the Watergate thing, yeah, then they'll realize it can happen to them on any of these things. And maybe, maybe we will all raise our voices and and very credibly demand uh, factual uh, veracity in in the For mainstream sure. media, where news is supposed to be news, facts supposed right. to be facts. I don't care. You can have all the opinion you want on the opinion shows, yeah. on the opinion pages, just opinion to your heart's content, but – you got to right. really – this is not good for our country. I mean our country is just it's, – it's absurd. It's absurd now. Yeah, it is. And, it is. Uh, it's, you know. it's a lot of – it sure is a lot of madness right now. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. 
Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Rory, uh, I mean, what an outstanding guest. Uh, you know, uh, just, a, just a little bit about me. I'm a college professor. People pay to listen to me lecture. I would pay to listen to you talk all night long. This has been so, so interesting, and I, I, I do, I do appreciate everything that you've been saying. I, you know, I, I lived through the the Richard Nixon era, uh, the John F. Kennedy era. I, I was around, and you know, you were talking about the Catholics. You know, since 1850, I remember that was one of the biggest knocks against John F. Kennedy was, will he bow to the Pope instead of the the Constitution of the United States? And but listening to you talk, uh, you know, it, 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 it's really hard to, to focus on one question. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going out, I'm going to buy this book. I, I have to read it now. And, you know, and, and I, you know, it, it, it sounds so interesting. If you were looking at, because there's been a lot of, uh, you know, poli- uh, media uh, comparisons to Trump and this, whole Russian collusion and also to Richard Nixon. Um, We know there was nothing there. We heard Mueller's report. We read Mueller's report. There was nothing there. You had mentioned what Comey and McCabe and that have really done. Were their laws broken? Uh, and, and I'm asking you because you guessed who Deep Throat was 25 years before uh, you helped, you know, bring him to light. Uh, w- w- you know, we all think now. Many of us would say, you know, uh, about Richard Nixon, but if we did, would be conspiracy nuts. You were there. You experienced it. You experienced and talking with Deep Throat. Your resume, who you are. Were their laws broken? Um, was you know many people feel that there was an attempted soft coup of the of the United States? Did this happen? Right. What are what are what are your beliefs? And and, well, and by the way, think, thank you for yeah. being on the show. Oh no, it's a great show. It's a great show, and uh, the um, and uh, my my former law partner sort of tuned me into this one, and so he's. Uh, uh, who's who spends a lot of time in Arizona, and he he's uh, kind of clued me into this. And uh, but here's what I think. Here's where the issue is that I think uh, Attorney General Barr and John Durham are going to go. Um, you have this Steele dossier, which gets you the FISA warrant. Um, now, uh, I think Comey and Brennan know good and well. Here's the here's the issue. Do they know good and well that Joseph Mithood, the Maltese professor, is really Western intelligence? I don't think there's any doubt. He worked he worked closely with Claire Smith, the head of British vetting. She's the chief vetter of security people in Britain. And and he and she taught classes together for years. He's very close to her. Anybody knows that. He worked for a very conservative university with a very conservative president. This guy is clearly Western intelligence. He's admitted recently that he was told to do this thing with Papadopoulos at a dinner in Rome. Clearly, he's not going in there for Russians. But yet, the uh, the presentation made to the FISA court, I think, 
uh, and the whole idea starting the investigation was based on Mifsud uh, being some sort of Russian-connected agent. And Mueller talks about it in his report. It's just nonsense. Number two, the more important one is the Steele dossier, both sources, sources D and sources E, are the same person. Think about that one. Uh, Steele tries to make it look like sources D. Source D is the peeing prostitute guy. Source E is the – I'm the Kremlin insider. It turns out it's the same guy. Well, first of all, Comey and Brennan knew who Sergey Million was. He's a nothing. He's a big BSer. And number two, he couldn't possibly have knowledge of either end. He's not a Trump insider. They knew that. Uh, they knew he was nowhere near the hotel. I don't even think he was in Moscow in 2013. You know, he's recently admitted, well, I wasn't near the hotel. I think I was around in Moscow that day. I'm not sure. But the point is, what did Comey and what did Brennan know about all these allegations that are in that dossier and the FISA warrant? If they knew right. any of those things in the FISA warrant were materially false – then you've got – you talk about obstruction of justice. That's a corrupt act in a legal yep. proceeding, and they can obstruct justice just like anybody else can. And to me, right. that's where Durham and Barr are going to go. Now, Comey just issued an op-ed in the Washington Post not too long ago when all these questions start arising about Mifsud, when it's just so clear, Isabel, now that he's a Western agent. Comey issues an op-ed in which he talks about how Papadopoulos was approached by a Russian agent in, in London without naming Mifsud. He's clearly referring to Mifsud, and so clearly Comey is trying to – is going to try to claim that gee whiz, I, gosh, I thought he was a Russian agent. So really the question is how much they're going to be able to – you know, maybe – Comey can try to claim he's above the fray and was relying on other people, and everybody's going to point to the other guy. But the point is, <laughs> you know, here you are. We got, we got a few minutes. We got a few this. minutes, so we got to go to commercial. Keep yeah. Going, though, anyway, that's it. But in, in answer to your in answer to your question, that's where I think the crux of it is. If that FISA warrant is is flawed, then I think. Uh, you know, I think that's really something else. And if and if the whole idea. By the way, one more thing. Uh, yeah. Steele is ex-British intelligence. Nellie Orr is a CIA contractor. Does anybody right. in this earth think that those two people just decided, oh my gosh, let's investigate Trump-Russian collusion when Brennan and British intelligence have, have already decided to investigate it? No, they're clearly a cutout for Brennan and British intelligence, and they, they, have, they, they are then the cutout to then – go to the FISA court. So then they take Steele and Elior's report and they say, look, we've got this wonderful guy, this ex-spy, let's get a FISA report. So some of it is that too. Did Brennan and Comey put these two up to doing the report? You know, uh, right. Glenn Simpson's right. wife went to the White House right before this. I think she got money from the DNC. So anyway, that's another place that this thing is vulnerable. Right, right. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Wow, it's such an honor to speak to you, especially someone as yourself that has played their hand in history. So uh, congratulations to you with everything you've done. It's uh, almost like I'm thanking you for your service. So uh, on to my question. Uh, as we're talking about how much of a Watergate has made an impact on the entire political atmosphere um, and uh, 
especially when it comes to precedence and how uh, the law is always somewhat uh, dynamic and changing because of this concept of uh, precedence and, and how much it's uh, gone down this slippery slope, as we've seen with this Russiagate uh, fiasco in uh, our current presidency. And so my, my question to you is, how much do you believe that uh, precedence uh, plays a, a role in how, uh, how much uh, politics is shifting? For example, is there a chance that uh, when precedents are broken in, in these kind of cases with these kind of like news stories, that it's dramatically uh, changing and um, like uh, giving more power to these uh, like, you know, big media and uh, these deep state agents uh, when um, and is there any way that you could, um, you know, break precedent? Yeah, for us to that's, be on the that's a great side? that's a great question. That's a great question. Okay, I think the precedent is so – We've got about a minute so, and a half, so we got to go to commercial, but I'll let you uh, answer the question. Go ahead. Okay, real quick. Real quick. The precedent is not so much legal as it is emotional and political. The precedent that was set in Watergate, and it's a real good question, was that the press knows that if it blows things up enough in the press, then that can have political consequences. And that's where the real precedent of Watergate is, and that's what they tried to do in this Russian collusion stuff. Emotional get to the people and try to get them politically all bent out of shape. And that's the, the ugly precedent of Watergate that now is raising its ugly head in the Russian collusion thing. That's a great question. Thank you. Absolutely. Kevin, did you have another question? Oh, no. I mean, that's it. I, I just noticed that uh, as time goes on, uh, just political events like this Russiagate is just absolutely blowing out of proportion and getting worse and worse. And so I, w I would really hope that uh, we, like, break precedents in our favor instead of saying that we don't want to break precedents and we want to, uh, you know, win instead of trying to, like, play on the defensive so often. So uh, yeah. it seems like uh, big media and all that, they are the ones that are uh, breaking precedents in their favor, but not not in our favor. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Um, John, uh, please tell everybody where they can connect with you, where they can buy your book. Uh, we'd love to have you on, and we'll definitely get you on again soon. Yeah, what, what you'd have to do is pre-order it on Amazon, Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed uh, Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began our partisan advocacy journalism. Um, uh, I'd like you – it would be great to go on uh, Amazon and pre-order uh, the more we can get pre-orders, the more we're going to have a splash with the book, and I'm in, I, I, I care about that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to make money. I do this in my spare time, and probably costs me money. But I want people to really be aware of this stuff, and it'd really be great if people pre-ordered it and got the ball rolling here. So, I'd love it. So, Rory, this has been great. Uh, the questions you and the other guys have asked me have been great, and. Uh, and you've got a great audience, by the way. I've sort of checked you out here, as I say, through my partner. And so real happy and honored to be on the show. All righty. Well, th well, thank you, my friend. And uh, we'll, have you, we'll have you back again uh, soon. Thank you. Yeah, please do. I'd love to come back and, and uh, chat in this in, in depth. So thanks. Absolutely. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you now. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, 
SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, coast to coast, worldwide, listened to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, thenextnexgenusa.com. Also remember... Uh, in about in, in a month, sorry for the delay again, uh, but we will be releasing it in a month, the new 24-7 network. Many notable names will be doing their own shows. My good friend, America's toughest sheriff, Joe Arpaio, as well as director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer. Both of those guys will be the faces of the network. We're very excited. 
I got a lot more announcements probably coming next week about it, and I will keep everybody posted, and I will bring um, my business partners on as well in the near future, and they will will discuss all the details. So I'm excited, and uh, I'll keep you all posted and updated. I do want to get to Chris. Chris, tell us uh, tell us what's been going. Chris, tell us what's been going on. You've uh, you know everybody we're we're with Chris Kaspersky. And uh, Chris, it's been a while since you've been back to the show. Since you since uh, you've been on, you've decided to run for office. You kind of had a new look on life, and all these big things are happening uh, happening for you. Tell us about it. Yeah, Rory, I really have uh, you to thank for a lot of that because uh, after we had our our awesome interview, um, you know, I uh, it was just sort of funny, you know. Immediately following our interview, my Facebook lit up like a Christmas tree, and uh, I actually got connected with a friend of ours, uh, Mike Peters, who uh, actually, yeah, very, very good guy, and he uh, he uh, approached me and he said, hey, you know, you're related to Benjamin Franklin. Have you ever considered joining the Freemasons? And I was like, wow, that's actually, you know, always been, uh, uh, you know, something that I've considered uh as an awesome honor to to join something that, you know, George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Paul Revere and, you know, 17 of our presidents have all been Freemasons. And so um, that was kind of a cool thing for me to get started with. And then um, following that, I've uh, decided that I I wanted to start taking care of my own self a little bit better. And I, um, I went and uh, have been working with the VA to get me a, back in track after my uh, service in Afghanistan. And um, I've been working with a local nonprofit organization who has been helping me train my uh, Siberian Husky Lakota to be my service dog. So that's pretty awesome. And then um, now I've actually just decided that we're going to be running for state Senate here in Northern Illinois um, because my state here is in dire straits. And uh, we we definitely need a lot of help around here. We're seeing a lot of people that are just fleeing here um, at, at rates that are just never been seen before. My own father actually fled Illinois um, after we had our interview. Um, and that was kind of like the last straw for me. I saw my friends, my family, everybody else was leaving. And uh, I decided, you know, you could either uh, fight or flight. And uh, I'm not the type of person to run I'm the type of person to fight so uh that's that's who I am that's what I'm going to do and uh hopefully we can uh start to begin to turn the tide around here and um, bring some more sanity back to the the land of Lincoln which you know unfortunately has become the land of Obama now so um you know it's uh we've 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 really turned things around in the state in a, in a not so good way. And I hope to turn it right back around again, because, you know, Illinois should be an economic powerhouse, all things considered. And yet they, uh, they just decided to do all the wrong things. And uh, it's just chasing, you know, all of our, uh, our tax base out of the state. And uh, it's making life even more difficult, more miserable for those of us that are remaining. So, uh, you know, the, the, um, state senator that I'm running against, she uh, has sort of been at the forefront of all the bad stuff that's happened lately. She's voted for our uh, to double our, our uh, fuel tax. 
She's uh, led the charge to make Illinois the most progressive state when it comes to abortion. Um, I mean, she now she's leading the charge once more on uh, probably the most uh, biggest piece of political doublespeak that I've ever heard of, which is what they're calling the the fair tax, and they want to change. You know, one of the few bright spots in Illinois is that we have a flat um, income tax, which she actually raised a few years ago on all of us. Um, And now she wants to uh, introduce a progressive graduated income tax, and they're trying to call it the fair tax, which to me is, you know, total political doublespeak because there's nothing fair about treating people unequally under the law. So uh, with that, I was like, you know, I've had enough. You could either uh, fight or flight, and uh, to me, we needed to have some more political courage around here, and uh, I plan on giving her every every ounce that I have. So, and, and what do you what do you see as the obviously economically, Illinois is struggling. Is, is it mainly because of the manufacturing jobs and the the, the factories are aren't getting as much attention, and, and are, are they closing down? Is that is that the main problem? Yeah, I mean, we we well, it's not really the main problem. We have and shipping overseas. We obviously have a lot of yeah, we have a lot of businesses that are just fleeing from here because it's it's just not a very business friendly climate that they've created. But we have this looming pension crisis over our head, where um, for generations they have uh, just overpromised these uh, elaborate pensions and. Um, you know, so, some some workers, you know, genuinely do deserve their pensions, but we have some people that uh, are just getting these lavish pensions, um, e- even more so than than what they've even paid into or what they uh, were making in the first place, and it's just it's totally uh, unsustainable. And uh, what that's ended up doing was it's it's taken all of the the state. Um, funds out of what they should be providing for, and um, as a result, it's just led to uh, a massive inflation in our property taxes. Our schools are underfunded. Um, I mean, it's it's just been a mess, and it's all because uh, of this culture around here where they just they overpromise and underdeliver. And then uh, they just pass the problem to the next generation. And, you know, I mean, there's there's not going to be a next generation if everybody keeps fleeing from here. So uh, we've we've got to we've got to stop doing, uh, you know, uh, Einstein's definition of insanity and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, um, because that's obviously not working here. We've got to we've got to start electing some uh, some new leaders in here who are uh, are unafraid to make the tough choices and uh and are willing to look at this stuff with a fine tooth comb and uh and and really work on cutting spending and um looking at some outside of the box solutions to some of the problems that we're facing um you know and it's not just fiscal problems i mean Chicago's notorious for our gun violence and everything exactly. else that's going on around here um and and you know and and all of all that they want to do is is take and, and apply more laws to more uh, you know law-abiding citizens, and to me that just that makes no sense when the people that are are disobeying our laws aren't going to be uh, uh, um, concerned at all with any more stickers put in windows or or words put out on paper. 
um, that's not right. keeping us safe around here. So, Right. And what, you know, getting elected to the state Senate, what, what would you do about the Chicago violence and the, the, the gun, the gun deaths? I mean, every weekend people, you know, last weekend it was like 60, 60 people got shot or something. It's ridiculous. And there were like five people that died. And, it, and this is like every single weekend. What, what would you do to change that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, most of the gun violence that we see around here is directly attributed to um, gang activity. And right. so, and I mean, by the I way, think how that, far are you from Chicago? About an hour drive? Yeah, about, I live about an hour drive north of Chicago, so I'm kind of equidistant between Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, and that, okay. that makes things That's, even more difficult for my community because, I mean, when they raise the, the gas tax, for example, everybody just goes across the border to Wisconsin to go buy gas now. Um, right. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not like these, these solutions that they're proposing are actually being very effective because, you know, right. people will find, you know, the, the path to least resistance anyway. So, yeah. But um, Chicago does but when need it a comes, lot of help, but as you were saying, what you would do. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the interesting solutions when I was actually out in school out in Colorado Springs, I minored in criminal justice, and uh, we actually, my senior year, we had to read a book that was written by a Chicago gang member, and it, it was one of those, those instances where you're reading this book and sort of the hair standing up on the back of your neck because, you know, this, this guy is describing locations that I was frequenting. And, uh, and one of the things that really captured me was, you know, this concept of blood in and blood out. You know, these gang members, um, you know, they oftentimes have to commit violence to get in. And the only way that they're going to get out of the gang is um, basically through uh, being buried six feet under. So um, that that really is is causing a lot of the, the problems that we're having around here. And then um, furthermore, any any gang members that become incarcerated, um or, or even if you're not a gang member and you are incarcerated, then a lot of these inmates are turning to prison gangs just for safety and security and everything else that's associated with it. And so when I was in Colorado, um, I, I was tasked with doing a, an assignment where we had to kind of propose a, a criminal justice solution, and I chose gang violence for mine. And I, I was looking at our, our situation in Colorado at the time, and I said, you know, I looked at just the, the rough estimates of how many gang members there were in our prisons, and uh, and I saw that there was actually one prison in uh, northeast Colorado in Sterling that I had proposed that they had actually turned into a gang prison. So that way all the rest of the prisons in Colorado won't have to worry about creating more gang members for all of their inmates that are, are coming through there. Um, and my, my professor sort of laughed at me and she was like, well, you know, do you think that guards would be willing to, uh, to work in, in an environment like that? And I was like, well, if I found roadside bombs for a living in Afghanistan, making basically peanuts, I'm sure that we could find some prison guards that'd be willing to make a little extra dough to go out there and work in a, you know, uh, uh, environment like that. So, I mean, I, I think that we need to look at, um, situations and like this and, and look, a little bit outside the box for some, some solutions here. Um, you know, and part of what I, I advocate for and, and my, my experience in Afghanistan was that, you know, evil exists and, 
you know, there it's it's really hard to just root out all evil from mankind. And to me, it really opened my eyes to both good and evil because good also exists as well. And um, and the only way that we can ever really uh, overcome evil is by uh, uh, having a superior firepower to it, you know. So, um, you know, it, it seems sort of counterintuitive, but I, I truly believe that um, more – law-abiding citizens taking the responsibility of their own uh, individual safety and the safety of those around them is actually going to be uh, what act, what causes some of this, this violence to, um, to not only decrease, but, you know, in those instances when it does rear its ugly head, that uh, it'll end a lot faster than, uh, you know, waiting for the police to mount their response and everybody that's, you know, uh, unfortunately there might be turned into a victim. Um, you know, I'm just not really willing to accept the whole victim mentality of it all. And I think that we need to be more proactive in, when it comes to uh, defending ourselves and defending our families and those that are unable to defend themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon all of us that can to be able to, to do so. So, um, you know that's that's one thing that I think definitely needs to be addressed. Um, you know, but the the gang violence that we have in Chicago is just it's it's just un uncontrollable really at, at this point. Um, and we need to find some way to uh, to start to uh, mitigate that a little bit. So. Yeah, very very well said. And you know, what what are the three things that you would do? If you, you know, right away, if you got elected, what, what do you see the, the, the three main things facing uh, the problems in Illinois? Well, we have a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse that I see being rampant in, in our state. Um, you know, we don't have a revenue problem, despite the fact that our, our Democrats seem to, to think that raising taxes is going to be the solution to it all. Uh, I, I like... Uh, um, Winston Churchill's uh, statement where he said, you know, if you, if you think you can tax yourself into prosperity, it's sort of like standing in a bucket and lifting yourself up by the handle. Um, you know, it's just, it's never going to work. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to, to take a good hard look at our spending that we have and, uh, and make some of those tough decisions. You know, I mean, it's not easy to say that, Hey, you're not entitled to this money anymore, but you know, frankly, we're just in that position now where we don't have that luxury of being able to, to spend willy-nilly on uh, on every last little pet project out here. And we need to start taking a more uh, focused approach on what government actually exists for, um, you know, and, and applying our uh, our funds towards that, that um, goal. Because right now we, we just, we're so stretched so thin and for every taxpayer that leaves, um, we're just losing so much more um, of that that tax revenue that's coming in, and the people that are coming in aren't um, bringing in as much um, income earning as the people that are leaving, and so we're just we're having this huge disparity right now. And so for me, first and foremost, it's finding ways to stop this uh, exodus from happening. And uh, right now, the the I just feel like our state is is turning away from the very freedoms that 
you know, service members like myself were fighting for over there. And uh, we need to start honoring that a little bit more. And we need to start honoring the fruits of, of people's labor and start respecting our citizens a little bit better. Because right now it just seems like these politicians around here just um, they'll, they'll use the the full force of government to extol as much uh, of of our our fruits of our labor as they can out of us, and then at the same time they're going around and uh, and limiting our our liberties and everything else, and uh, it, it's it's just been a mess around here and. The only way that we're going to solve it is by having some political courage to do so. So that's why I decided to run. Absolutely, man. And, and you know what? What is your what is your competition like within your within your own party running? How many people do you have running in your primary? Uh, I should be the only one that I expect running. Um, actually, we we're kind of having a candidate shortage around here. Um, and so I'm still desperately trying to find people to run for the two state rep positions um, that make up my my district here. Um, but I last year I helped run uh, uh, Colonel Craig Wilcox. He's now Senator Craig Wilcox because we were victorious. Um, and I was very frustrated because I'm watching my good friend down in Springfield and it just seemed like he's running into this brick wall. And to me, the only way to solve this problem is to start removing the bricks from the wall. So, right, yeah, man. I mean, this is this is fascinating stuff, and you know, we need we need more military members in 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 politics, you know, and more people with the mega agenda, you know, with with the pro Trump, uh, you know, and, and no, you know, we need more people like you with no special interests. I mean. Too many politicians, man, are out for themselves. Too many are, are so bought and paid for that, you know, they forget about who they really work for, and it's we the people. Yeah, you know, I am encouraged, though, because I, from what I've seen, and myself included, I see a lot more Republicans sort of coming back to the fold. You know, the, the 2016 election was kind of rough on our party. We were all very divided in the primary um, I actually was working on Senator Rand Paul's campaign at the time, and I was actually very encouraged to see how well Rand Paul and President Trump have been working together on a lot of things. And at the time, I was very concerned whether President Trump was actually a legitimate Republican or not. I mean, he was a former Democrat. Um, he's a populist right. in many ways. Um, and I wanted to see you know, him actually prove himself. And to me, he has. Um, and I think to a lot of people he has. And so I see a lot of us sort of coming back home to the fold. And fortunately for us, the, it's, it's the Democrats now who are on the other side of this, uh, this fence. And they're all the ones eating each other alive right now. And they're going to have to get behind, you know, sleepy Joe Biden or whoever they, they decide to choose. And uh, I just feel very confident about President Trump's uh, chances now. And, you know, frankly, from my political science perspective, you know, we all understand sort of that pendulum effect and how the electorate sort of swings one way and swings the other. And if you are going to run, you should uh, run when you're on the upswing and not on the downswing, you know. And so I, I believe that this is, um, you know, sort of my opportunity to be running on that upswing now. And uh, and I'm not going to be shy about it. I mean, obviously, I think that there's there's some things that you know, we might agree or, or disagree with on uh, for any politician 
frankly. I mean, the only way that you're ever going to agree with any politician is if you're the politician, you know? Um, and so, I mean, there, there's things with, you know, President Trump's rhetoric and stuff that I know a lot of our constituents around here might not like, but I'm, I'm a man right. of action. I mean, I, I like to see results rather than, you know, actions speak much louder um, than words to me. So I think that uh, what President Trump has been able to accomplish here is pretty remarkable, and uh, and he's been doing it in a way that, uh, in a lot of ways, has been uh, kind of uh, fun to watch in some respects. You know, I mean, he's he's been trolling the other side in ways that we've never fought back before, and uh, I hope that it, it um, helps to give other Republicans more of a backbone to stand up for what's right and to call them out for when they're wrong, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. My friend. And, and we are, we are out of time, uh, but please, and, and we will have you back soon. Um, I do got to wrap up the show, but please tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you. I always love having you on. Yeah. Thank you so much once again for having me. It's uh, every time I'm on, it's always a, a real treat for me. And, uh, you know, like I said, the first time I was on, it really kind of was life-changing for me in some ways. So I'm hoping that the second time I'm on, it will be just the same. But everybody can find me um, on Facebook. Uh, my name is Chris Kaspersky. I'll spell my last name for you. It's K-A-S-P-E-R-S-K-I. I'm running for Illinois State Senate in District 31. Um, and, uh, yeah, just send me a like on Facebook and uh, – I'm I'm hoping to get all the support that I can get. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough race. Uh, the incumbent here is um, uh, fairly popular in the district and in some areas. And so um, I'm going to be giving her all that I can get. But uh, I really appreciate all the support. And thank you for having me on, Rory. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. God bless. Thank you. You too. Dr. Branch, go ahead. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Well, thanks for having me on tonight, Rory. Uh, everybody, you can find me at uh, my website, drbobbranch.com. That's drbobbranch.com. Thank you again, Rory. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at Nationalist United on social media or nationalistunited.com. I have this was a great show, and I had a really fun time. I can't wait for the next one, Rory. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Always a pleasure. Uh, Mark, go ahead. Tell everybody where they can connect with you. I can be reached at One Mad Rabbit on Twitter. That's to say, another excellent show, Rory. Look forward to the next time. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Great show tonight, everybody. Um, so many things addressed, so many things established, great flow, perfect rhythm, everything you could want in a show. Uh, like always, uh, you know, it's, it's the best. I, I do want to go over a few things before I go. Um, just a few announcements, headlines. President Trump officially overhauled the endangered species protections. That was in the paper today. Very, very important. Big, big thing. 
uh, migrant family apprehensions at border are up to 450% in 2019. Think about that. 450% in 2019. That's how many people are coming to our border. Scary, scary stuff. Um, you know, uh, th- this whole this situation with this whole gun control thing, you know, we're obviously going to talk about it a lot more probably on the next episode. But like I've said many times, if you give the Democrats an inch, they'll take a mile. Trump should not budge on anything with these people. And, you know, I, I really hope that uh, Trump thinks twice and really understands that if he goes through with any sort of gun control legislation, he will lose some of his base. He has to understand that. So I, I really hope he, you know, rethinks it. Um, but we will get definitely get it more into that. But there is a, a big war on, on our guns, and that, that's no joke. Um, the New York Times just keeps getting more and more ridiculous every day. They're now claiming that lawnmowers are a symbol of racism, and they're bad for global warming. I mean, it's like you can't make anything up with these people. I mean, this is, this is who our media is in today's society. Gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Garbage story after garbage story. The fact that this is even allowed to be printed is disgraceful, and whoever the supervisor is there needs to be fired. And, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they just published this for attention because this is, they know this is how we react, especially on the right. You know, we, we call out the stupidity. We don't want to see the ignorance. You know, it, it's, it's laughable entertainment. It really is. Other disturbing thing, you know, another disturbing article that came out today, and, and I'll get more into this on Thursday because I imagine in the next couple of days there will be a lot more Epstein articles. But reported today, Epstein was apparently heard screaming and shrieking in his – screaming and shrieking in his cell the, the morning he, died, you know, supposedly hung himself. So come on, what's really going on here? I, I really don't think he killed himself. I think it's bullshit. Because like I said before, you know, so many things don't add up. The picture they showed of him, his body, different nose, different jawline, different hairline, different mouth. Yeah, it, it doesn't add up. And uh, I hope, you know, we get all the information that we deserve and need. I don't want this to turn into another bullshit situation like Vegas shooting where we don't know where we don't know anything you know it's it's scary the times we're living in and we've got to hold the media accountable so um you know obviously everybody knows i went into a huge rant and discussion yesterday about the whole epstein stuff and we will keep keep uh talking about it as the stories keep developing like i said because this is something that uh is a, is a primary focus right now for many people. All right, everybody. Well, I want to thank all my audience, my guests, my co-hosts and sponsors. You are all incredible. I will see you all on Thursday night. God bless. I'm Rory Sodder. Mega, mega, mega. Cheers, everybody. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 